Welcome in to Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. In this episode, we have Nate Yeski. Nate is someone who doesn't need much of an introduction. He has been an absolute force in the pitching realm across college baseball over the last decade. He helped guide Oregon State to a national championship in 2018. He was named the assistant coach of the year by D1 Baseball in 2017. He's been a two-time national pitching coach of the year by Collegiate Baseball in 2013 and 2017. He's currently the pitching coach and associate head coach at Arizona, and he's someone who I was really excited to uh, sit down and be able to finally just talk pitching with him and pitching is not my background. So I'll be honest, there may be a few questions on here. If you know a lot about pitching, you might be scratching your head wondering why I asked that because I honestly didn't know. And so this is a really cool thing about being able to do this podcast episode is I get to be able to grow along with everyone out there listening as well. Make sure to subscribe to us over on iTunes or your favorite platform of choice. I mean, while you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. This podcast is specifically for player and coach development. We also get into some college recruiting as well. But if you're someone who's hungry to learn more and wants to continue to grow as a coach or as a player, this is going to be the spot for you. So make sure to subscribe for future episodes. And ladies and gentlemen, I now welcome on Nate Yeski. All right, we now welcome on Nate Yeski, who's the associate head coach and pitching coach at Arizona. Nate, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. So this was your first year at Arizona. You know, you'd spent over 10 years at Oregon State. What was the transition like to a U of A, and how have you kind of settled in in Tucson? Well, there's some familiarity with school being in the same conference that I'm familiar with. The style of play certainly, I think, changes from program to program. And you look at some of those different characteristics within each program. That's one of the things that drew me to coming here was Coach Johnson got tired of facing my pitchers and I got tired of facing his hitters. So we thought we could just duke it out in the fall and, and then get it out of our system and move along. So transition's been good. I'm certainly looking forward to picking things back up and, and playing again when we get that chance. What did you implement in the fall that maybe was different before you had got there? I would say most Probably importantly is the routines, just gets to understand the dynamic of what a daily routine looks like, what a monthly routine looks like, and and even some of those subsections. What's my bullpen routine or my catch play? Just how do I get myself ready to go? And focusing in those areas of things that they could control and trying to give a clear perspective of what those things look like. So each day they had an idea of what was going to be on their plate when they got to the park and then kind of what that looked like so that they could transition it over into the games. So when you look at it coming in and trying to explain some of those things to these guys, you give them what they can handle, give them a couple of things that might be challenging in that sense, and then just trying to empower them through that process while we educate them each day, whether it's video, bullpens, anything that that we're doing to try to get them better, we have to educate them through that process in an effort to empower them. And that's really kind of been the basis of our foundational development plan thus far. You're talking a little bit about their uh, educating them and, and doing some video work. Do you think that at times that can be, it can get players to overthink, especially pitchers? And again, I'm not a pitching guy. I've never, never been a pitching guy, but I'm just curious as to do those guys sometimes tend to overthink more the more they see themselves, similar to hitters in a sense, on video? For sure. There's no doubt. We see it as just a learning tool. Every tool has a time and place. And there's other times when things need to be done that you're not going to use a particular tool. 
And when it comes to pitching, to me, feel is probably the most important thing. You can go in the weight room and train. You can go in the training room and do arm care. Some guys are, are blessed and gifted with good arms and pretty clean and easy deliveries. So when you incorporate that feel, at the end of the day, you got to give people out. When you're competing between those white lines, you have to do whatever the task is called. So we really try to promote the feel portion of it, try to get feedback from them. I really like them giving me what they're seeing through their eyes and connecting with how that feels because now it gives me the perspective that they're looking at it with. And it allows me to, I think, get on their level with regards to any type of conversation that leads into their development. And I think a lot of times coaches can fall into a trap of repeating themselves or coming up with their their own terminology and what you're now doing i think is you're force feeding the athlete to look through your eyes and he may not see it that way not now not next week or not ever and i think the more that again you give them a stake in the game and you empower them to give you feedback now it opens up that line of communication and the developmental curve can be shortened up it can be sped up and now you're getting some feedback from those guys. So the video portion, it's nice to go back and, and use it as kind of a checks and balance every now and then. But we try not to get too deep into it because I do think that it can become a wormhole that some kids get lost in. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Just kind of going off of what you're talking about there, especially, you know, their routines and speaking their language instead of your own. I got a question. What would you say to someone who, if you're coaching a pitcher and say you don't have any information really on the hitters that they're going to be facing, so there's no background, you don't have any information, how would you attack those hitters or how would you tell your pitchers to attack those hitters? Well, I think there's a lot of variables that come into play. Ultimately, you're going to want to lay your head down on your pillow at night knowing that you went at them with your best stuff. So you've got to pitch off of your strengths. You have to attack in that sense. You know, sometimes hitters will give away what's going on, where they like the ball. You watch a guy take swings in between pitches. He's going to swing where he wants the ball, and that's going to give you some idea. You get a pinch hitter that's coming up to the plate, and you don't have a history on him. Kind of the same thing. You can see nowadays with regards to the higher levels where you can get information and you can get data, you can take a look at their walks, their strikeouts, their power numbers. There's lots of indicators that give you some ideas. If the guy can do damage, if he likes to go early, if he's a guy that may struggle with spin, there's little thing kind of tells throughout that data that give you some of that information. So those are some things to factor in, but ultimately at the root of it, you've got to go with people with your strengths. Those are your strengths for a reason that's gotten you where you are to that point. You have to continue to try to promote those things. That's why it's important when you're not pitching to be paying attention. You can get really, really good at the game by watching a lot of things. And if you're a left-handed guy on the bench and your job is to pinch hit, well, watch all the other left-handers hit. They'll give you a pretty good indication of what that guy likes to do, whether there's runners on base or not. And you know, with the pitching side of it, it's a, a similar sense. I always think that relievers are at a bit of an advantage, even though they're pitching in the crunch, where they get a sense of watching guys go and watching what their tendencies are throughout the game. They almost have the answers to the test before they get in there and face their first hitter. Do you ever uh, talk to your guys about kind of their own individual mental game plan heading in? Yeah, I think when you take into consideration how guys are going, some guys are going good and they don't even think twice about it. So you try to kind of keep them in that euphoric state where it's just playing. They're kind of in that zone. Some of the other guys that may scuffle, 
or have a setback, and all of them at some point will have a setback. Maybe it's uh, giving up a run in the first. Maybe it's pitching behind the count and you don't have feel for your breaking ball that day. Your mental game is the one thing that you can't go back to. And I know that's really become a push in our game in the last 10 years. You've got a lot of uh, sports psychologists and mental coaches and things like that. But again, it's understanding what applies to you and how well can you control or manage those things within the game. And uh, when it gets competitive and the scoreboard gets turned on and fans are yelling and the other team's competing against you, you got to find the things that you're able to kind of handle, process, and implement pitch to pitch, hitter to hitter, inning to inning. So we really kind of try to talk and learn what guys like and what they don't like and try to to listen in, especially during bullpens, because they're going to tell you what they're doing in a pen of how they're thinking in a game. And it's going to give you some insight into how to help them navigate some of those twists and turns along that road. Yeah, that self-awareness piece is is huge in terms of just understanding who you are and what you're feeling at that moment. One of the things that I've actually been looking into a little bit lately and you bringing up the fact that you need to be paying attention during the game for players is pitchers tipping pitches. I'm wondering, is is that something that you talk to your guys about or is it just something you wait and if it happens, then you'll address it? No, we try to put guys on it throughout the fall. We spread them out around the field, around the stadium, other dugouts, anywhere that they can get an angle on a guy, and then just try to give them some feedback. I think a lot of guys tip maybe more than they're aware of. I've certainly heard stories, and I've read things, and talked to guys, and I have a handful of my guys that played for me in the last 10 years or so. They're still in the big leagues, and hearing some of the stories that they share with either themselves or teammates or somebody on the other team getting picked and what they've had to do to adjust some of those things. And so there's different dynamics to it. There's different levels and different layers, but we try to stay out ahead of it as much as possible because I do think that there's times that guys give stuff away and they don't even know. And that's where it is one of those times to go back to video and get kind of the answers to the test or to look at it the way that your opponent's looking at it and see if maybe you're you're not being a good self-evaluator or, as you said, uh, having some awareness to say, all right, I see what's happening here. My hands are a little higher here, a little lower here, closer to my body, further away, and just making sure that you're kind of managing yourself. Yeah, and it's definitely tough, I mean, to make those adjustments or know that you're doing those things definitely during the game, but that's a good point of using video. That's a great way to use video to kind of get them to see and understand what you're talking about. I know you've been so Someone who has used weighted balls now or had your pitchers use weighted balls for quite some time. When did you first start implementing weighted ball use and why did you do it? Well, I felt at the time that it was going to give us a competitive advantage. I think it was maybe the fall or winter of 2013 and just felt like it was going to do some things that helped us out. It wasn't so much for the reasons that I think people jump to right away where they think that they're trying to beef up velocity or increase something along those lines. It was for me, I think that you look at a lot of pieces that some of the people that are doing these things for line of business, when you look at what they're doing, there's an aggressive rehab principle to it. And I've always wondered if guys have had a setback, gone through a rehab process, come out of that and people have looked at them throwing performance and boy, these guys are doing really good now. Well, then you look at those reasons and you say, well, what got them back to this point or accelerated them and got them above to where they are now? In which case is why I chuckle because I'm thinking if, if you did that when you were healthy, maybe it would keep you going. So 
looking at some of those principles, I thought, boy, if we could implement that, maybe our relievers would be fresher day two. Maybe our starters would feel better deeper into the season. And so we reached out to a couple people. And I know that when we first, I think, got involved with Driveline, at that time, they were a relative unknown. And I think we were the first program to reach out to it. And I thought it was funny just in the sense that people wanted to know and people questioned it and it's often even been a topic of discussion when it comes to recruiting you know i look and and you see it's become pretty global in that sense big league guys minor league guys colleges and you can go overseas we've got a team from Korea, the Dinos, that work out and do their spring training here at our facility. And here I see their guys over there using driveline flyo care balls. So I just, I saw it as a tool to get better. We've used it accordingly with each guy. There's just, there's bits and pieces I think that they can use to help augment portions of their game. But some guys, they do things pretty well and pretty natural, and we don't have to get too far outside of the box with them or, or implement certain things. So been doing it for a while. I think that there's some good things from an arm care standpoint. I think there's some things that are in there to help from a development standpoint. But I do think that it's a piece of the puzzle that can certainly help you work to enhance your game. One of the things that I've seen, and you'll have to help me out on this, Nate, is I've seen guys use put like weighted balls or just maybe if it's just bigger balls in general in their glove when they're throwing and that's supposed to help clean up some mechanics. Am I onto a right track here or have you heard of that? Yeah, believe it or not. I mean, that's something I feel like I've been doing for many, many years on end and it just helps develop some awareness with regards to the delivery. You'll see some pieces start to kind of fall apart and it helps them just develop more spatial awareness. And just understanding kind of where their body is in space and time and giving them some direction to how those things work. I've wondered at times if you were to put ankle weights on a, a hitter or on a pitcher and just something that overloads that area to help draw some additional awareness for their body with what it is doing and how it's functioning. So with catchers, I think it works well. Certainly infielders, outfielders, it could work. But pitchers, I've seen some guys really benefit from that. When you're uh, recruiting a player, a pitcher specifically, are there certain things mechanically that you're looking for? And if they don't have them, and maybe they still throw hard, but if they don't have these mechanical things that maybe you're not going to recruit them. I think there's always some things that kind of resonate with others, with some more than others. I just kind of get a general idea of how the body functions, how it moves. When you watch how the arm works, there's some things in there at times that they kind of trigger and, and tip you off to going, I know it comes out of there, but that doesn't look like it's going to have much sustainability. Maybe you're seeing a kid that's 16 years old and you're thinking that this is where it may have maxed out. Like this, this might be it. Whereas you're seeing some other guys where the body moves well, everything's kind of going. And again, he's 16 years old, but he's 6'3", 6'4", and he's 160 pounds and going, well, as he continues to add strength, these things are going to function much more efficiently. And when kids move well, I think that is the primary component. And then you can start to add strength from there. I think it's a slippery slope that some kids will get caught up in is wanting to just continue to get stronger for the sake of getting stronger. And they may add an element that becomes dysfunctional within their movement pattern. So that's why there's a lot of people out there that are very good at what they do in trying to get kids set up with how their bodies move and how they function. I spend a lot of time with our strength and conditioning coach. I'll spend a lot of time with our athletic trainer and we all get on the same page with what it is that we're trying to accomplish so that we can navigate that path with the player and give him some understanding of what we're doing and how we're trying to do it and then how it works so that we've all connected the dots together and 
thus allows them to get back out there and compete at a high level. It seems that uh, a lot of these kids, like you just said, want to get stronger because they want to throw harder. But even if a pitcher is throwing really hard, if he doesn't have location or he can't locate, obviously that's going to eventually be an issue. But let's say he does throw hard, but is having trouble locating. Are there any drills or different things that you have found that have helped pitchers kind of get back in the zone? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a handful of things. Again, the players got to give you some feedback to what those how those things that you're implementing are working for them. You can use baseballs that are different size and different weights. You can certainly have them do different type of, I would just call them athletic drills and fielding ground balls and throwing over to first from shortstop. You might get a kid that finds that, okay, he's a lot more natural in that sense because unfortunately a lot of kids get into big buzzwords been for However, I can remember back to my own playing days, you keep hearing these terms, mechanics, 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 and a kid hears that word too much and he's going to become confused and he's going to become focused solely on that. He may take his own athleticism away from himself. Is there a mechanical efficient way to throw the baseball? Sure. But I think that you got to be careful. You keep talking mechanics too long and a kid might get lost and think that you're talking about body shop or the engine shop down the street that's working to to fix the v8 on that camaro so it's just it's giving them some freedom to be athletic i think when kids are at their most relaxed kind of primal athletic self you're going to be able to promote feel and that's really what you're trying to do when you're getting a guy back to throwing strikes and and that's again being careful too You, you hear guys talk about pitch to contact well it's if it's one and two and there's one out and I got a runner at third base, the last thing I want is contact. So I don't want to pitch to contact. I want to throw a quality pitch to quality location and I'll let things go from there. I've seen guys try to make a pitch, miss with it completely, and a guy swings and misses at it and you go, okay, well, he was mechanically inefficient, didn't get the ball where it was supposed to go, but we got the result that we wanted. Okay. So again, we're constantly just splitting hairs. And I think I read an article the other day about Pineda that used to pitch for New York and Seattle talking about how he wasn't really a great command guy, but he seemed to always miss bats and be enough around the zone to be effective. And so is that his stuff? Would you want to tighten up his command and get him to throw more strikes? I think there's a time when early in the count, you want to throw pitches that look like balls that end up strikes. And I think late in the count, you want to throw pitches that end up looking like strikes that become balls. And it's just getting guys to understand how to direct and navigate their stuff is most important. Do you have an issue with a pitcher, like say he's on your staff and he just loves his off speed when he has a good fastball? Like he's just, no matter what the count is, oh, oh, one, oh, like he's always throwing his curveball or slider. Yeah. And that's where, as a coach, that's why you have your job. You have to work <laughs> to educate those guys and give them a better sense of what you're trying to do. Because if we can pick up on that, I'm sure the team in the other dugout can do those things as well. And it's understanding that you can't fall into habits in this game. There's too much information and too much data. There's too many good coaches out there that understand what's going on and everybody's looking for an advantage. So you're trying to give a kid as many options as he can. So when he goes out there to throw against the hitter, there's maybe some apprehension on the hitter's part because he doesn't know what he's going to get and what counts. He doesn't know if he's going to get it in, out, up, down, hard, soft. And just too many variables to contend with. So that's the nice part, I think, about games at our level that I I really think may come into play at some point at the big league level. I mean, you look at college football, they have offensive and defensive coordinators that are calling plays. They do the same thing at the NFL level. 
So now you get into baseball and I'd heard a story about a manager at the big league level and the commentary in question was, well, could you call a better game than our backup catcher? And he said, absolutely. I've caught X amount of years in the big leagues. I know our guys and I know their hitters better than this guy does. So we called up from AAA. The question was then thrown back at him. Well, then why don't you call the game? And his response was, well, he needs to learn. Counterpoint was he could be traded next week. So we're trying to do those things. So back to kind of the root of your question, it's nice being in our position to be able to make suggestions as a coach, calling a game, giving them some direction as to why we would do things. And that's why we spend a lot of time during the week, both before and after our games, explaining why we would need to do those. And now that educates them, gives them perspective, and then ultimately they get to become empowered through that, taking ownership of their path and their career. One of the things that I had heard, I've read before, and I forget what college coach it was, but he said that they no longer were practicing PFPs anymore because pitchers would just, you know, they do it all right in practice and then they'd overthink in the game and just grab it and just throw it away. Do you buy that? And do you guys still practice PFPs a good amount? I'm confident in saying I'm not sure that there's any team in the country that spends more time on that than we do. With the style of play in our conference, teams will short game you. If you can't field your position, they will short game you to death. I think when you release the pitch, you become the fifth infielder. I guess sixth if you're counting the bunt game when the catcher coming into play. But there's nothing wrong with those elements because, again, I think it's promoting athleticism. I think it's part of the game. When it stops becoming part of the game, I guess I'll stop coaching it. But we get a lot of action via the short game. I've seen guys blow calls and I've seen guys lose games because the pitcher's late getting over cover first. I watch games at the big league level where guys will put down a bunt in the playoffs. And if that guy throws one away, it becomes the difference in it. And they're going to go back and highlight that, oh, well, you know, he just threw that one away. Well, maybe they didn't spend enough time on it. So I would rather go down swinging in a sense where we're going to spend time focusing on those things and doing what they need to be done. Because if I'm showing up to the yard, my goal should be the same every day, and that's to get better. And if that's part of the game, which we know that it is, then why not spend time getting better at it? Do you, I guess my next question would be off of that is, I read sometimes online that people are saying that, you know, the last thing pitchers need to be worried about after they get done pitching is fielding the ball. And I'm sure you've seen pictures of and people online, like making fun of people, like as they're finishing their delivery, you know, landing with their both feet straight towards the catcher. And this may be a stupid question, but is there anything valuable about doing that? To me, it's a byproduct. And the best example I can try to paint is the most comebackers I think I've ever seen in a game that a guy got was five and he pitched nine innings. So if he threw 110 pitches in nine innings and only five times was the ball hit back to him, it seems a little crazy to try to account for something that's going to happen so little. And I would think that for guys that I've seen that discussion had and I've watched them implement it when I go to games and out recruiting and evaluating, I see kids lose the intent of the pitch. They lose the purpose of what the pitch was designed for. And they're trying to prepare for something that may never happen, especially if they make a quality pitch. So I want their athleticism to play. I want them to get going. If they happen to line up and they're in a good fielding position, and that's just how their delivery kind of lines up and sets them up. Okay, but it's not going to be something that we take a lot of time and focus on because I think what it does is it starts to shut down the system with regards to the intent of the pitch. And you lose maybe giddy up on the fastball, you lose depth on the breaking ball, 
you lose the sell or the full speed arm action of the change and all in an effort to try to prepare for something that may never happen. Because again, if you're trying to strike a guy out, fielding, finishing in a fielding position to me probably doesn't really make a lot of sense because if I struck the guy out, well, nobody hitting the ball back to me then. Yeah, it's a good point. That's a position player question on my part for sure. Now, one other question I am pretty curious about is when you are in a game, right, you're the pitching coach, essentially, what are you doing during the game? You're wearing lots of hats. You're trying to, I think I used the analogy earlier, you become like a coordinator of sorts. You watch a D coordinator in football constantly making adjustments, changing personnel. You know what you're doing with certain hitters and you know how your guy's stuff's playing. So you might be talking to your defensive positioning coaches, moving guys around. You might be doing a couple of things here and there that throughout the game, you're wearing different hats. You're talking to your relievers about where they're going to be setting up in the game and where you might use them, how the left hander might try to get him out with this pitch where a right hander might try to get him out with that one. So it's an interactive classroom. I just use it as a constant teaching, not only to, to help teach the players, but to also learn myself. When you watch the game, it's going to give you a lot of answers to the test. And you get feedback from the players, and it's just a constant kind of collaborative effort as a group to solve whatever the problems are. And that's where I feel like you can always be getting better. I take great pride in watching a game when I was younger on television. The score might be 17 to two on a Sunday afternoon. There's something that you can learn from that game and something that you can watch. So I enjoy being at the park for those reasons, because that's why I got into coaching. I like the competitive spirit. I like the competitive nature of things. I like watching guys get better. And the only way that we're going to do that is to, to continue to be in those types of environments. So play ball game, championship type games, those things, you put yourself in those environments as much as possible, and then you'll be more comfortable, certainly, as those things present themselves more and more, because you've stayed engaged in all the other games that you were in, talking, learning, listening, doing whatever it is that you feel like you need to do at that time to help you or the guys around you get better. That's a great point. Growth mindset definitely is the first thought that came to my mind, just listening to you talk about that there. When your starter during the game is coming into the dugout, is it kind of a situation where you'll talk to him just based off of the, his personality type, or are you always going to check in with him in between innings? Well, it's funny. I, I, I was kind of both. And early in my coaching days, I had a player look at me and just say, hey, can you just give me a second? Can you just let me get a drink of water? Because I was so <laughs> eager to to discuss the inning that had just taken place. And I wanted to just drive it home. And he was great. I still remember like it happened yesterday. And he said, just, just give me a minute. I said, okay, that's fine. So now I haven't been through a few more battles looking back and, and understanding when to push and when to pull. And you know, we've had some guys in my time that I've shared the dugout with that have thrown no hitters. Now, I can remember watching one young man win a national title and just sitting there, and I checked in with him maybe twice. He was locked in, and he was pretty good that day. So just, you okay? Yep. All right. Good. Or though at one point, he shared with me, he says, I'd like to go to my breaking ball a little bit more. He goes, it's comfortable. It's there. I said, okay, well, this is how I think we can use it and implement it this inning and how we'll go about it. If it works, we'll go this direction. If it doesn't, we'll double it up with this guy, but not that guy. And again, it just it kind of laid out a floor plan for us or a roadmap to be able to navigate that inning. And it's good because it gives the player some time to kind of digest some things, but it also gives me some time to talk. And that's where the catcher comes into play. I've been very fortunate to have shared some time in the dugout with some really good guys behind the plate. 
So again, empower those guys, look at them, talk to them, learn from them. We were in a regional at one point years ago, and I remember looking at the catcher and I said, which one do you want? And he looked down in the bullpen and he goes, give me the shorter one. He didn't even hesitate. <laughs> and the players know at that point, and we don't have all the answers as coaches. And we were getting thin on the back end. And I think we had pretty much three guys left and we had two of them up. And I just looked, I said, which one do you want? And he says, give me that guy. Well, ended up being the right guy because he came in and, and he pitched well, but players know. And so when you get feedback and you get some information through catchers, I'll probably talk to the catchers more than I do the pitchers throughout the game. Just what do you see him? What do you like? What's he doing? What's the zone like? Um, are you getting any feedback from the hitters? You know, are they frustrated? Are they just not seeing it well? And then that'll give me a chance to kind of visit and check in with the pitcher when I need to. When that pitcher is struggling on the mound, because that's obviously going to happen at times. And let's say you go out for a mound visit. I've heard before that some pitching coaches, from what I've been told, like never actually talk about anything baseball related during those mound visits. So my question is, is do you talk about baseball during those mound visits? Uh, depending on certain times. I've told guys, hey, I'm just coming out here to just give you a breather. But certainly, I, I like to keep it baseball related. It, it doesn't have to be particularly specific. Sometimes it's just competitive nature. And if you get a little more competitive, you know that their typical characteristics aren't really kind of showing their face out on the mound. So maybe you try to, to engage a guy a little bit more and, and get him going. Sometimes you got to slow a guy down and just kind of calm him down a little bit. Put your hand on his shoulder, get him to breathe a little bit and relax. And okay, there you are. You know who they are when they're at their best. And really, that's what you're trying to do is just allow them to be in that frame of mind and not worry so much on the result portion of it. Even though that's what we're focusing on, there has to be a kind of a process that gets them to that point. And if you're too tense or you're not particularly engaged or whatever else it may be at that time, we got to get you back to where you operate at your best. So yeah, sometimes I've heard some funny stories. A guy I used to work with had served as a pitching coach some years ago. And he said he went out one time to a guy and he says he was just looking off in the space and he turned around and looked at him and said, Hey, um, so what's your name again? <laughs> and the guy went from being completely frustrated to looking at him and saying, well, you know, it's, Oh, okay. Good, good. And he says at, at that point, I just took the guy's focus off of everything else that he was doing. So I think you got to be true to yourself too. You got to know what your own personality is and how your players relate to that. You got to be authentic and be who you are because that's what they identify with as well. If you're going to be phony or you're going to try to sell something that you typically don't sell, they're going to recognize that and sniff through it really quick. And they're going to feel like they're out on an island by themselves anyway, and you're not really out there to help. Mm. So it's just good, again, to continue to get to know your guys, know what buttons you have to push, what rope you got to pull. And again, just giving them, I think, comfort and an understanding that, hey, we're all here at the mound, me, the pitcher, or excuse me, me, the catcher, the infielders, we're all here to help you. But let's get back to being you. Mm. That's great to hear. Yeah, that, that relationship piece is so, so huge. Do you ever mess with where a pitcher is actually setting up on the mound, right? Is there a reason where a pitcher would be, I guess, maybe like a side armor would be more towards the end of one side versus the other? Or is that just personal preference for the pitcher? I get that it's personal preference, but if they're having issues commanding certain sides of the plate, maybe it's with a certain pitch to a certain side of the plate. 
we'll discuss moving. I've certainly had guys move around over the years to where they're comfortable. And really, I just want to give, put them in a position where their arm lines up with regards to their release point, where they can command the zone most consistently. Uh, if a guy does it just based purely out of comfort, and that's his only excuse that he can tell you, yet he's not performing, well, I, I don't know anybody that's really comfortable and not performing at their best <laughs> level. So we do try to educate them and encourage them to move at that point. So I think you'll you'll see a lot of guys that just kind of, yeah, I've always done this this way. Some will tell you that, well, I had a coach tell me one time to do this. And okay, it might have been relative at that point. It might have made sense. We had two kids right here before this break that we moved on the rubber in the middle of the season. And it started to pay real big dividends for those guys. And that's going to be something that we'll continue to keep in place with them when we return to action. What do you think about pitchers and pitch count in innings? Like, is is there a certain pitch count that once they hit that, no matter what, they're out? Or is it more so stress level, right, if they're just cruising through the game? Or is there anything like that where, you know, once they get to a certain number of pitches or once they get to a certain number of innings that you're taking them out? Well, it's a case-by-case scenario. I do think that the stress element comes into play. Some guys can cruise through eight and throw 100 pitches, and it's real easy. Some guys can throw five innings and throw 100 pitches and be fighting themselves the entire time. And that kind of uh, stress levels that are in there can really be taxing for some of those guys. You tend to watch and see, are they losing the quality of their stuff? That Again, that's why I talk to the catchers frequently and get some feedback from them. I can tell you that having been in this league for as long as I have, I, I know probably 90% of the umpires extremely well just from being out on the field with them weekend after weekend. And you look at some of those guys sometimes and, hey, how, how's this guy doing as you're walking back to the dugout? No, he's good. Leaving him in that's that's the right thing this stuff's <laughs> plenty good or you take a guy out and the guy will be headed to the dugout and you'll turn and look and home plate umpire will be looking at you going that was the right decision so it's just it's interesting when you get some of that feedback from those guys but you know, if, if we do our job and we pay attention and we're always asking our players to get better each day that's our job too as coaches we need to lead by example and we have to do better each day so we look for those things we talk to people we ask our strength and conditioning guys, where they're at. We talk to our nutritionists, what they see. There's just, there's a collaborative effort again with player development that we're focusing on. And we take all those things into account. And when you get going into the game, now there's a feel element and you got to trust your eyes. You got to trust what you see. You might feel like a guy has good stuff, but guys are getting off good swings. Now you ask yourself, is he in the middle of the plate? Catcher can confirm that. Is it plenty good? Well, maybe the radar gun on the scoreboard can confirm that. Okay, now, well, shoot, is he tipping? If he's not in the middle of the plate and the stuff's pretty good. So you're going down a checklist to just make sure that that everything's kind of lining up how it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's a very good, very good point right there. And I do love the the feel aspect you were just talking about and kind of just the human element of just letting your eyes sometimes be the best judge. I just a couple more questions here. I know, you know, don't want to take up too much of your time, but you've been offered some different professional jobs, even just big league pitching coach jobs, but have turned them down. Is there a reason why you never really wanted to entertain professional baseball? Well, it's not that I haven't ever wanted to entertain it it's it's certainly something that when i was a kid my goal was to get to the big leagues and i don't think it's going to happen as a player i think i've exhausted those opportunities (laughs) there may come a day when that opportunity comes back as a coach i just felt like 
at this place in time and the other times that, that those discussions were had, it, it just wasn't the right time. Be it for me professionally, be it for me personally, be it for my family, because I'm not the only one that's in this. And they're in it. My wife has been extremely supportive. She's every bit as competitive as I am when it comes to games. And, and she watches like a hawk. She thinks that these kids are an extension of our family, which they are. And we value that element to be able to really kind of help impact a young man's life. We enjoy the competitive nature that each weekend brings and, and things like that. And there may come a time when we get to explore that at, at the big league level. I guess time will tell. I know that the, the last call, I, I had spoke with the team and I said, this is a tough one because when I was a kid, all I could think about was playing for you guys. I realized that this phone call may never come again, but we are where we are at times, sometimes we don't understand the reason behind it. It's revealed to us later on, but I think the good Lord puts us where we're supposed to be and gives us some guidance into where we're going to be and when those things should take place. So for right now, I'm in a good spot. Who knows? Maybe some years down the road, we'll find that to be different. Mm, that's, that's awesome. Nate, really appreciate you uh, you coming on the show today. Oh, Thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. Make sure to go subscribe on iTunes so you can stay up to date on the latest trends and techniques being taught in player development. Until next week, hope everyone stays safe.